We read together a testimony of that truth, love, and boundless grace from God's holy word as we find it at this time at Second Samuel chapter 9. Second Samuel chapter 9. God speaks to us in this way. Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? There was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servants, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. We'll read once more the concluding verse of the ninth chapter, where we read these wonderful words. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both feet.
Lord, so add his blessing to the proclamation of his word. We recognize that while the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, what do you do when you get a dinner invitation in the mail? Boys and girls, if your grandparents come to join you at your supper table, you undoubtedly experience uh, an air of excitement. Or if you invite your friends for a birthday celebration, I'm sure you can hardly wait for the day to come. And if there is a wedding celebration to attend, a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience for the newly wedded groom and bride, there is much shared joy. Our presence honors the new couple as we join with them in their first meal as a husband and wife. And they have honored us by inviting When you're invited to join someone for supper, it's an occasion set apart, and in so doing, we join others to partake of the staples of life. It's an opportunity to enjoy fellowship, friendship, companionship, and and it's what we, the experience that we call communion. There is a, a, a union when we experience a close association in a very real way. We may enjoy that with our families each day and without a doubt the kitchen table is the most important piece of furniture in the whole house but it always adds something when we have special guests around the table now this morning we we anticipate in a few moments the table is set before us the celebration of the lord's supper we answer the invitation given to come to the Lord's Supper table. It was uh, given last Lord's Day. It was an invitation that included uh, a call to prepare and to set one's mind for what it is that we celebrate when we come to the Lord's table. And we recognize that this is no ordinary table. This is no ordinary supper. Uh, We remind ourselves that the host of our meal is no ordinary host. Jesus is our host. He is king. And and the king invites his subjects to the banqueting table. It's an invitation like none other. And by means of our scripture lesson, as we just read it a moment ago, we are given this morning a, a snapshot a snapshot of the joy that is to be ours, uh, to be experienced at each celebration of the Lord's Supper. What is more, those who belong to Christ will by faith see something of the glory that is awaiting all those who will take their place at the eternal banqueting table. Now our scripture lesson praise be to God, feeds our faith by showing us something of God's covenantal love. 
we might be nursed not only by means of the sacrament, but also by the word of the Lord and being reminded that the Lord's loving kindness, we need to think about this, the Lord's loving kindness is better than life. And so as we continue to listen, as we hear the word of God preached, we want to consider the, the theme, God's people called and invited to the king's table. And we receive in the first place a gesture of kind mercy. And secondly, we receive again a testimony of God's gracious covenant. First then, the Bible tells us of this wonderful gesture of mercy and kindness. It would have been no surprise to anybody if David would have little regard for the family line of Saul. We recall how David was hunted by his father-in-law as an outlaw, as a fugitive, as a desperado. It was the practice of kings in heathen countries to wipe out those who had any previous connection to the throne. But David is not a heathen king. Yes, he had many failures, as you know. As with Saul, the scriptures show that David to be a failed king, albeit a repentant failure. And it was only the grace and the mercy of the Lord and his irrevocable covenant that kept David from being removed from kingship as Saul had been. In God's grace, David purposed to uphold the principles of covenant living. Saul may have been David's sworn enemy, yet David would show kindness to Saul's house. Jonathan, his very close friend, surrendered to David's calling and kingship in faith. And David had sworn that he would deal kindly with Jonathan and his family. Jonathan made a covenant with David as we read of it in 1 Samuel chapter 20. And at that time Jonathan pleaded with David not only to show him the kindness of the Lord while he was still alive. But that he would never cut his kindness from Jonathan's house. And we are shown what the Spirit of the Lord can do in the heart of the man. Jonathan stands in sharp contrast to his father Saul. And how precious was the gift of faith that belonged to Jonathan. How marvelous the grace of Christ is. And by means of that grace, Jonathan was able to win a great victory over his own ambitions. He did not put himself first, but he yielded to the will of God. And when it came time to part, David and Jonathan could hardly let go of each other. Deeply moved, David bowed three times before Jonathan as the one he still considered his superior. There was no desire whatsoever in David's heart to push Jonathan to the side. And now David is about to make good on his promise. Saul and Jonathan have left this world for the next. They died in that battle. 
Now, sometime later, David would show loyalty to Jonathan by ministering to Jonathan's family. As you know from your Bible study, when Jonathan died, he had a five-year-old son. And when news of Jonathan's death came to this child's caregiver, to this child's nurse, she tried to hurry him, but he fell and became lame for life. It must have been a severe fall. Now at the height of David's power, the Lord puts in his heart to demonstrate mercy and kindness to Saul's offspring. And through Ziba, David is informed of Jonathan's son, Methabosheth. And Ziba calls attention to the fact that Mephibosheth is lame in his feet, perhaps wondering how Mephibosheth can do honor to the new king. Nonetheless, he's brought to Jerusalem, and as he's brought to David, we, we, we see uh, Mephibosheth's reluctance. Perhaps in his mind he wonders what to say. Should he refer to his misery and hope for mercy? He's given no standing of himself. His grandfather had tormented David. What would a five-year-old boy have known of David's promise to Jonathan? Uh, humanly speaking, he has nothing to plead on. And beloved congregation, that is true of you and me too. We have no pleading grounds on the basis of what we have done. As we sing from time to time, not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what our toiling flesh has borne can make our spirit whole. Not what we feel or do can give us peace with God. Not all our prayers and sighs and tears can bear the awful load. Our pleading ground is the Lord Jesus. We can only plead on the mercies of Christ. It's through Jesus, by Jesus, and with Jesus that we are brought into the presence of our King. King Jesus brings his subjects to the banqueting table. Thy grace alone. Isn't that our testimony, congregation? Thy grace alone, O God, to us can pardon speak. Thy power alone, O Son of God, can this sore bondage break. Again, think of that land of slavery. Sin is a land of slavery. No other work save thine, no other blood will do, no strength save that which is divine can bear us safely through. And what a glory to plead the mercies of God through Christ. Yes, our pleading ground is found in Christ alone. By him we plead the eternal compassions, the everlasting mercies of our Heavenly Father. And we confess this to be all of grace. In our prayers we pray in the name of Jesus. We pray for the sake of Jesus. In our hearts we realize that without King Jesus we are nothing. And what a richness we see in our scripture text. When Mephibosheth is brought into David's court, he, he falls prostrate before David. After all, he's in the king's presence. David calls Jonathan's son by name. 
Is that you, Mephibosheth? And here David reveals something of the loving kindness of the Lord who, who remembers sinners. At David's tender call, anxiety diminishes. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, do not fear, for I will surely show you the kindness. I will show you kindness for your father's sake. The land of your grandfather Saul will be restored to you. Now Saul would have had a measure of substantial holdings. And, and now Mephibosheth is given the right to live from his own inheritance. And certainly, congregation, as we think about these things, as we ponder them in our hearts, we, we, we see a, a, a picture of salvation. To enjoy the inheritance. To enjoy life in the king's presence. Mephibosheth lived in Lodanbar, a city located in Gilead, east of the Jordan, ten miles south of the Sea of Galilee, in the tribal region of Benjamin. And he was far, far from the royal estate, far from the king's court. In a certain sense, we might say he had been displaced almost as a, as a refugee living in a little unknown place on the edge of the desert. And congregation, you and I, we have to recognize that in of ourselves, we too are far, far from the estate, far from the royal courtyard, far from the inheritance. But then, those who are given that gracious invitation, that gracious gift of faith are, are, are called into the presence of the king, called to the royal palace, called to the mansion with many rooms, called home by the king, called by his bountiful mercy and kindness for the sake of Christ, God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. The God whose ways are past finding out. The God who is infinite, incomprehensible, unchangeable. This God for the sake of Christ will show us kindness. The Mephibosheths of this world will be provided for. As David promises to care for this lame man from his table. So too those in grace are brought to the Lord's table. Belgic Confession, the Belgic Confession, speaking of the sacraments, make this testimony they are given to aid us in our infirmities. Article 33 begins this way. We believe, isn't that beautiful to say? We believe. We believe that our gracious God taking account of our weaknesses and infirmities has ordained the sacraments for us thereby to seal unto us his promises and to be pledges of the goodwill and grace of God toward us and also to nourish and strengthen our faith. The church we may understand to be the body of Christ we understand the church to be the place where the congregation gathers for worship. 
But we must also understand that the church is a hospital. A hospital. And we are all infirm. And we are not just simply crimpled. But without God's intervening grace, we remain dead. Dead in our trespasses. And the Bible wants to teach us again something of the wonder of God's gracious covenant. God's promise is sure. Mephibosheth will be provided for. The king will share his meals. Mephibosheth didn't need to earn David's favor. It was promised on the grounds of the covenant that David had made with Jonathan. Is it because of Mephibosheth? Not at all. It is for Jonathan's sake. This is his pleading ground. And in that covenant he is a direct pledge from the king. And Mephibosheth needs that because the arguments of unbelief must be answered. Questions like, who do you think you are? A cripple. A cripple from a family that had been at enmity with David. Who, who do you think you are? Have you forgotten whose family that you belong to? Do you think the king will have you sit at his table? What honor can he gain to someone such like you? But David speaks covenantally and tells Mephibosheth it was for Jonathan's sake and for us beloved congregation it is for Jesus's sake that must always be the answer to the questions of our own unbelief for the sake of the mediator of the covenant of grace we are welcome the Lord will not put his people to shame. Mephibosheth is deeply impressed with his meeting with David. He accepts David's kindness with humility. He bows deeply. And using the expression of a dead dog, he acknowledges his own unworthiness. A dead dog was considered contemptible. Mephibosheth saw himself as such in that he knew he had not merited David's kindness and that there was no way for him to repay it. David, as an agent of the covenant, shows that there is room around the table for the weak and the helpless, even such as we are. David is the one who, who foreshadows the greater David to come, the beloved of God, God's own beloved son. And when God, in Christ, looks down on the poor in spirit, looks down upon the one who, who has been brought to realize his or her own inadequacy, he does so with the merits of Christ's cross. The merits of Christ's cross. Never forget, congregation, when the Lord and Savior calls us, he does so, and he calls us every day, and especially in worship. He calls us with arms filled with abundant goods. Every day, Mephibosheth could eat at the king's table in the palace. 
And David provided for, for the entire broader circle. Ziba too was looked after. He had 15 sons, 20 servants. They too would enjoy their share. What a message for us congregation. We who are infirm, not here in our own strength, gathered here in the infirmary, we may confess the Lord and his covenantal mercy through Jesus Christ that we may taste and see the kindness of the Lord. He has prepared a table for us and his loving kindness is greater than life. He has called us his guests. Now if a covenant between two people can be upheld, marriage covenant, but now in this case, as we see from David's faithfulness to his covenant with Jonathan, how much more, remember this, how much more faithful will our Lord Jesus Christ be to the covenant in which he lives with all those who belong to him, body and soul? To know that Jesus has come to seek the lost and save them. To know that those who humbly come before the Lord are, are restored to the forfeited inheritance. To know that we await that inheritance to come. To know that the sheep of the good shepherd are entitled to, to a people with a better paradise than that which had been lost. And to know that we may be entitled to communion with the Lord himself. As he calls us to his table. And as he, in this simple way, feasts with us. How rich, how rich we, we truly are. Then to think of that banqueting table to come. As the Lord Jesus traveled toward the cross, there was a spirit of anxiety amongst the disciples. They were pondering in their hearts as to what in the world was swirling around them. And the Lord Jesus says to his disciples, as he says to us, let not your hearts be troubled. And he speaks to them of going on ahead. Going on ahead to prepare a place. To prepare a place for a prepared people as we too need to be preparing. And what is he preparing? He's preparing a mansion. A, a, a living space. That has many rooms preparing that banqueting table a banqueting table that, that all God's people may gather around throughout the ages can you imagine sitting beside Abraham one day Moses, David not sure how that will all uh, be set out for us but certainly the imagery of the banqueting table the imagery of the inheritance is, is clear throughout scriptures and to know that uh, in this veil of tears, uh, in this world that is no friend to grace, 
that we may anticipate with joy and holy delight that banqueting table. And may so God then fill us with David's confession, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And what comes next, boys and girls? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yes, forever. Eternity at the king's table.